There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? You can do it! Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. Yeah! Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Having to do three takes for this podcast intro time, which doesn't usually happen for us time. Getting a lot of rain outside, though. Time. Good for the yard. Time. Got some jalapeno peppers. I'll be able to harvest pretty soon. Time. I'm not a farmer. Time. Football time in Tennessee. Time. Whatever time of day it is. It's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. West Rucker, Ryan Callahan, Patrick Brown here in Fort Rucker studio. Recording this on a... Thursday afternoon, going to bring it to you on a Friday morning. To quote my uh, brother from a darker mother, Jason Swain, we'll bring it to you on Friday morning. And guys, first off, really quickly, Grant Ramey's not here today, so any remarks that want to be made about Grant are legitimate for the next 45 to 65 minutes. Well, he threw my glasses down on, on the ground while we were doing Facebook Live earlier today, which, by the way... In the rain. Yes. Uh, I didn't want to wear them during the video, and I put them on the ground away from everyone so that they wouldn't get wouldn't be a problem. And Grant picks them up, puts them in, in his in like the zipper of his of his twenty four seven sports company swag pullover. And then he reached down to grab his computer out of his bag and, and the glasses go crashing on on the concrete. It's like fine, I'm just gonna wear them. Has Good your, job, Grant. Has your vision been impaired? Yes. It's all your fault, Grant. This is the second pair of these. I can't. Glasses are expensive, people. Money don't grow on trees. It's true. It does. We're, and we're big J journalists, so we don't. You know, we're not making bank. So that's true. We're not. We're not these pretty talking heads. Are we? Yeah. Big, are we big J? I thought we were little J. We're capital J journalists. Okay. Capital yeah. J is good. good. That's a good medium. Yeah. Yeah, we're capital J. Maybe not like in seventy-two point or thirty-six point font. But like a good twelve to fourteen point font, capital J, journalists. Our podcast though is not in preseason form. We need a, we need camp yeah, to get this do. podcast back into into midseason form. Yes. Apparently, and, and to, to give you all a heads up on this, we normally just do one quick test, and then we are into the podcast. And there are no problems. Everything's good for this particular podcast episode. We required three. Three takes, and one of the few things I'm still proud of in this world, there aren't many things left, one of them is that I get to be one take less in front of the camera because I get it right. I'm a jerk most of the time, but when you turn that thing on, I'm a pro. Uh, You're not, Ron Burgundy. Not, not, not right now, not today. We required uh, three tests because the first one, my voice kind of cracked like there was something caught in my throat, and then in the second one, I started recording in the wrong file in our – uh, soundboard, mixing, podcast, you know, freaking, what do you call it, uh, program, app, whatever yeah. it is. So we required three takes for this. So we'll try to give you a really good podcast because we owe it to you after we let ourselves down and by, you know, us, I mean me, letting us down 
so much professionally in the past and, five minutes. And Wes mentioned our tests. I, I wish you guys could hear them. I, I really do. They're, if we ever go on HBO, yeah, there will be outtakes. However, you know, we, this, this we is had, a good family environment. Yeah, we have to be a family-friendly podcast. The tests are usually not family-friendly, though. Yeah. No, they're not. Uh, any any grievances? It's basically like uh, from Seinfeld, the uh, Festivus. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Festivus in a minute, basically. It, it's the airing of grievances, basically, is what happens, and then we get all that out of our system, and then I delete it, and it goes into the ether never to uh, reappear again, uh, unless it's really, really good, in which case I have a secret file that I've password protected, put it in there for some really embarrassing things. So um, I have blackmail on all of you. All right. Not really. I haven't really recorded any of those. I that sounds that. like way too much work for you. That's a jerk move. You're absolutely right about that. And as we all know, it's early in the month. And that's not always when um, when when Big West brings his uh, brings his big guns to bear. So you're our, our opening month, opening week of the month. Not always yeah. my strongest time. You're ramping up for the end of camp. Basically, yeah. I'm trying to. Uh, I don't really hit the ground running. I tend to get to that eventually. You don't which even is what? you don't even hit the ground until like the middle of the month. Yeah, but then but then it's on like Donkey Kong toward the end. I come out of that bullpen like Mariano Rivera. You're playing uh, that dun 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 dun. dun. You hear that? I believe it's in our Sandman by Metallica. Yeah, but I was we don't we don't have we can't play it, so we we can't play it. And your your impression of it was eh, I was was humming it basically. So or if like uh, old school '90s Padres, Trevor Hoffman, you start hearing the bells for Hell's Bells, and like then I come out of the bullpen throw in some cutters, get get you out of the game, and we're good to go. With that being said, Tennessee probably needs to hit the ground running to start preseason camp because – got a lot of work uh, to do. There's the, these Vols, in case you missed all of last season, if you were like Matt Damon in The Martian and you were gone for a while, Tennessee, sad to say it, you're not going to hear this uh, too many times. Actually, you're probably going to hear a lot. Tennessee went 0-8 in the SEC last season for the first time in program history, first winless SEC season in program that, history. That's still kind of crazy to think about. Like, we had never seen that. No one had ever seen that, but it's, it's you ha- crazy. You have to be, like, really, really old to have even been alive, not just remembered, but alive the last time Tennessee lost to Vandy and Kentucky in the same season. I believe that was 1964. That was, mm-hmm. you know, the the early, you know, kind of early mid stages there. The mid stages of the Vietnam War basically was when yeah. was when this was the last time Tennessee had done that. So uh, you're you're talking a long time. You're talking a historically bad team, and because of that, Tennessee made a much needed change at the head coaching position. Jeremy Pruitt <laughs> is in the building. Uh, this is a guy who uh, I'll tell you this much: it will not be worse. Will how much better will it be? I don't know, but it will be better than it has been because it just has to be. Thought I well, just thought I just had for a thirty second segue here. Is this the most anticipated season opener for Tennessee since like two thousand six Cal in a way? Two thousand twelve maybe. Because people are so tired of thinking about what last year and that coaching search and everything was like, and they're just like, just give me something else to to latch on to. And and, and God help everyone else if if Tennessee takes off under Pruitt right. because this fan base is going to be the next time they're good. It's <laughs> they, they be... will, they will be hurting themselves, patting themselves on the back for what went down. Oh, that's, that's true. Which too. has also obviously come back into the, I guess the uh, yeah. social media. No, that's that's a great point too. My only point was going to just be that, yeah, it's been so long since Tennessee was good that God help everyone that talked trash to Tennessee over the last decade, because all the fans are going to well, make up for it. Quickly. Well, the thing about this, though, is we've seen like little parts of this offseason where this staff has done something completely different from the previous staff. 
And we've seen so many people, or not so many people, but so many players, maybe a coach here and there that have gone away from Tennessee elsewhere, gotten out from under the Butch Jones whatever, and succeeded. So why wouldn't Tennessee have, you know, why wouldn't that continue with the season? Why wouldn't they go out and, and win eight games and surprise some people? Well, I think that, that would that would be sort of continuing a theme of what's gone ha- what's gone on since the day that Wes and I were in the middle of Illinois and yeah. Kentucky driving back when Butch Jones got fired. We were in Illinois corn country, basically, is where we were it was when gray, that happened. It was sleepy. Yeah, it was it was like uh, it, you know how like the sun never shines in that part of the country uh, for basically all of winter and and early spring and, and late fall and. And it was a very Midwestern gray day, but that was a little beam of sunshine that came down from the heavens that day. Uh, reversing just about two minutes, I will say that the first year of Kiffin, there was a tremendous amount of hype. There was. Well, that in 2016, hi- let's face it, that was a, there was a lot of it. I remember, I remember the hype machine for that first Kiffin team because it was the it was Tennessee's first real jolt of something new like truly new in a long time because you had, yeah. you know, probably since majors, you know, cause you had Fulmer taking over for majors, you know, and, and you had Cutcliffe coming back a couple times and that was a nice little boost, um, but never like a big, huge, like seismic change. And that's what you got uh, there. And this is another kind of sea change here. This yeah. is a, a much different way ex- of doing things because you know, it's normal if you have to fire a coach because of performance. Now, if you have to do it because of some off the field stuff, like Urban Meyer, if that happens with him in that case, you're gonna you might bring in someone with that kind of a personality he, because he, it he worked. might be fired by the time that this podcast gets released. Could be. <laughs> Never really know. I think they'll take some time to find administrative reasons uh, to do yeah. so when they put them on. They're basically looking for Hashtag a way to tag for cause. Yeah, they're looking for as Tennessee beat writers. We are experts in this field. <laughs> they are looking for. They are most likely looking for cause to fire him, or they are looking or, for a settlement or a reason to keep him. Yeah, that's basically what administrative leave. Hardly you don't usually come back from that. You can, but it does not happen a tremendous amount. But my point was, any time that you have to f- fire a coach for performance-based reasons, you usually bring in someone who is different. You you know, if it was a, a kind of a, a straight talker, you bring in kind of a sunshine pumper. And if it was a, you know, a slower-paced offense, you want to bring in a faster-paced offense. You want to bring in somebody, you know, it could even be someone with an offensive background. That didn't work, so you bring in a defensive, you know, background guy as the head coach. Anytime that you have to do that, you bring in a different kind of guy. However... I don't know that I remember. Even even Fulmer to Kiffin was a huge change. Yeah. But when you talk about two people who are on completely opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of personality and in terms of the things that they care about, it's, it's just a wide, wide gulf. Uh, it is a drastic sea change now uh, from Butch Jones to, to Jeremy Pruitt. And I think this will be a good thing for Tennessee. I don't know uh, if it will be good this season I think it will has a chance to be pretty good in time however uh, I don't think it'll be worse I don't think you'll see any 0 and 8 SEC seasons under this guy and this staff Um, because I was just thinking about something the other day really quickly before we get to these bullet points I was going over some offensive line stuff just for you know we all do our season preview stuff and Pat and I joke because we're trying to both do the same thing but do it differently. So it's you know we're kind of you kind of step on each other's toes sometimes, and that's no. Sucks. You step on my toes. Yes. Uh, well, now I I used to do all that stuff, so technically you would have stepped on mine first. So if if this is a contest, <laughs> I'm just saying you know dibs. I I, his, got, I his, had fives on it. His toes. Well, his feet were thrown under your toes. Yeah, but we're both we're both team players, so it all works out really well. But I was or looking, I'm an alpha who took those from you. Boom. Uh 
you know, sometimes alphas, you don't have to be allowed to be an alpha. You can just kind of be, you pick your spots. I'm a, I'm an, I'm a spot picking alpha. Pick a spot on that sheet of paper and start reading it so we can get this going. Yeah, anyway, you were. No, we you, are. You My were point, point yeah. was that I was looking at some of those Colorado State numbers from Will Friend's tenure as offensive coordinator. And they were really, really good. I mean, they had 200 plus yards per game through the air and on the ground. They were top 10 nationally in so many categories. If you look at that resume on its face, you think the next thing that guy is doing is taking a non-Power 5 head coaching job or a Power 5 coordinator's job. That would be the natural progression. And yet, he comes to Tennessee as an offensive line coach. That kind of, that's the more extreme example, but I think it, it puts into perspective pretty well how different this staff is at Tennessee, how well it is paid, the background it's got. This team should be just positionally, just football-wise. Let CEO stuff, all that, you know, fourth down decisions, you know, clock, special teams management, all those things, pressure situations. We don't know how Pruitt's going to react. But just looking at the resume on paper, day-to-day, positionally, this will be an infinitely better coached football team. And history strongly. There are no assurances in this world, but you just look at this, you just look at this the staff and you say, these guys can maybe develop some guys, they can get something, they can get some 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 juice out of this. So I think that's if you're looking for an optimistic note to head into the season with. Uh, I would say keep your expectations minimal. I would say keep your expectations based on effort, maybe, and process instead of results right now. But I think this will be a pretty well-coached football team yeah. in terms of just day-to-day technique stuff. Yeah, you there got were, some pure coaches on this there, team. Staff. There were reason to think that Butch Jones' staff had a chance to succeed, but their success was at a different level. It was at smaller schools in, in yeah. some cases, and the SEC guys he brought in were not. I don't know, their resumes were not enough to necessarily make you think that this was going to be a proven staff at the SEC level. This staff has so much SEC and major program success behind it, not just experience, but success, that, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit easier to envision this staff at least being on the right track. Yeah, I mean, Rocker, Rump, Shearer, you know, all the... I'm sure one Ch- Charles Kelly was the defensive coordinator at Florida State, and yeah. they, they weren't... They had a tough year, but, but overall, they safety. were pretty solid. Yeah. And he was now he's coaching safety. I mean, just positionally... There were one or two hires that won't work out, I'm sure. That Absolutely. happens on every staff, but this like staff... Manny, like Manny Diaz or Diaz was yeah. good everywhere except for Texas. You know, Bob Shoup was great yeah. everywhere except for Tennessee. But, you have those but, instances. But by and large, you see a staff that across the board, you're like, oh... This could work out. And I think uh, a couple of quick news and notes here. Uh, Tennessee seems reasonably healthy going into camp. We will break down some specific guys here in a minute. But I think overall you're talking about 20 scholarship offensive linemen, uh, 19 of which will be available for contact from the start of camp, Uh, you know, four scholarship quarterbacks. Uh, You've got guys. There are some positions, you know, cough, cough, cornerback, where you'd like to have some some more proven players. Mm -hmm. But – They've got some tools to work with here, and they're they're healthy. You know, they're not going into camp worried about every little guy's ankle and knee and all that. So, so kudos to the training staff and the nutritionists and all those people. It looks like they've done a pretty decent job heading into camp. Now, the big news that everyone's going to want to talk about quickly, normally you'd be saying, hey, new coach, new quarterbacks, quarterback battle. All those things are important, and we will get to them. But – you're talking about an offensive lineman being maybe the biggest story now going into a camp, and that's pretty unusual. But 
Uh, I think there's maybe only one person on Tennessee's team who can claim to even be remotely as good a player as this guy, uh, and that's offensive lineman Trey Smith, and he's a guy who will be out there. I think Nigel War is the only other one who maybe you could say could you know maybe be become that level of a player. But uh, getting him back uh, from what he's been through, let's not pretend that we're doctors here. Uh, he did have blood clots in his lungs. That, that's not and again. Think about that. Blood clots, lungs. That's, you, that's scary stuff. Uh, but he's seen, seen every specialist. Uh, basically, he's seen him at Harvard. He's seen him at Vanderbilt. He, who's who of specialists. And he's on that anticoagulant medication. Uh, and they've gotten that under control, they feel like. And he's going to then go back to baby aspirin in a couple weeks. Dr. Rucker. And Cutting through all of the medical jargon. Well, I think it's important to mention. Trey Smith has been doing everything but contact work the entire offseason. Yes. At no point has he been held out of any of that. Um, and he's going to continue to be held out of contact, and they're hoping that he's cleared around the 19th or 20th of August, which is going to be a little bit past the midway point of camp mm-hmm. and within two weeks of the season opener. Yeah. Um, so they're going to have two weeks of playing pretty much a five without him, and then they're going to try to integrate him into what they're doing at that point, which – We'll have to see how it goes. And, and when Pruitt at Media Days said that, you know, Trey will be back, all this stuff, and he and he wouldn't go as far to say he's not been cleared for contact, that raised a red flag to me, say this, you know, yeah. this isn't this isn't a shoe in, this isn't a foregone conclusion. And that's turned out to be the case. Now um Patrick knew. Huh? Patrick knew. Dr. Brown. I'm not saying I knew. I'm just saying that that should have like immediately everyone was celebrating, yeah, he's back. Well he's not yeah. Nah, let's hold on for a second. Um, and and I, I think, Wes, you made a good point in, in the Facebook Live video, which you need to go check that out on our Facebook page if you haven't. Facebook um, Live brought to you by the Go Boston 24-7 podcast. That this is, you know, this is, a big, this is a big decision for Trey for so many reasons other than football. I mean, this is his life. This is his well-being. This is his health that, that we're discussing here. And, and it's not so much that playing football is the risk. It's that going off the medication. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, and, and let's, let's get it out there now. This is Trey's decision to play. And if he decided to hang it up, I don't think anybody would blame him because he's going to be successful in anything he does, whether it's football or, or whatever. So, um, it, you know, this this is going to be one of those things that they're just going to have to monitor it and, and stay on top of it. And if Trey's able to sort of balance his health situation and play football at a really high level, then I mean, I wouldn't, I don't, I'm, I wouldn't bet against him doing it. I mean, he's, I think he's that talented and 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 that smart of a, of a player, and to, focused, to, yeah, mm-hmm. and and driven and motivated and all those things. So, um, you know, he, he's he's someone that's easy to root for. I know we're not supposed to sort of root for people in this business, but it would be such a shame if, if his future that looks so bright had to be curtailed because of this. So if he's able to kind of make it happen, then that would be good to see. Yeah, the thing that – I won't belabor this point, but I've said it a couple of times. I'll say it one more time. Here comes the doctor. No, no, no. This is This is not doctor. This is not medical. Uh, Psychologist Rucker. Trey Smith is a young man. We cover we cover young men, some kids from time to time, who you think no one wants to say it, but you're around them. You see where they're from, the background. You see the, just their personalities, and you go, if not for football, this kid would be in trouble. He needs football or something like this, or else his life's going to be a mess. Trey Smith's far the farthest thing from one of those kids. He could stop playing football tomorrow, and he could be a really successful businessman. He could go through college, get an education. He could go, you know, into communications. He could go do. There's a lot of things he could go do. He does not need football. Uh, and his mother passed away a few years ago from a heart issue. So there were several reasons why you could say maybe he shouldn't do this. But 
he's been informed. He is an adult. He is allowed to make this decision. Uh, Tennessee, I think, maybe leaked it out a little bit to get that story on the front end uh, of camp that he was okay. And I think that was pretty pretty good savvy PR by them. And the story's out now, and Tennessee has sort of absolved itself of this situation and said, we educated him for months, we told him this could happen, or, and, and it was his call, and he made the decision. So that's and, where it is. And, yeah, that, this is a guy, I mean, first of all, like you like you guys said, good kid. You you want to see him get through this. I mean, he, he went through a tough time in high school, and football, I, I will say football was kind of, I think, one of the things that helped him through his mother's death. So you, it's yeah. been, it's been important to him to want to succeed at that, at that level and to, to play it, play in the sec, play at a big time school and, and, and have a chance to go to the NFL. So you hope it works out for him. Uh, he's a good kid who meant a lot to the, to the, everyone in Jackson that uh, celebrated his commitment to Tennessee quite a bit two years ago. And yeah, it, it, it's a big deal, obviously what happens with this, but first and foremost, you just hope that, that going off the medication, the, the anticoagulant, as you said, Wes, that he's been on doesn't result in some sort of issues. I mean, it could come back. There's no guarantee that the blood clots won't return at some point. So there, there's some risk involved, but he's, uh, I guess, comfortable with the risk and knows uh, knows going in that, that um, he understands the situation and we'll see how it responds. But obviously everything's gone pretty well so far, and as long as there are no unexpected snags, I guess, in the process, he'll be – cleared for contact in two and a half weeks or so. Yeah, and I'm not a doctor, and I'm, I'm not like Wes, so I, <laughs> I'm just kidding, Wes. No one wants to be uh, like me. <laughs> I, I don't want to be like me, to you, be honest with you. We, you know, we saw what happened with Chris Bosh. I have no idea of these situations, how similar they are, but we saw what happened with Chris Bosh, so that, that's always going to kind of be out there. But kind of kind of switching to the, you know, the football side of this, uh, Tennessee's going to have to figure out where they're going to play Trey uh, because he's obviously one of their best five. So they're gonna see, and if he needs a baby aspirin, he can just go to you. <laughs> Don't you worry if you if you forget it if you forget some tray. He's also got some other stuff he can give you. Trey, I got you, buddy. He's got all sorts of all sorts of little fun little pills in there. Um, yeah, the the way that Pruitt said it today was uh, they're gonna see where they're pretty much they're gonna play five wherever their weakest is where Trey's gonna play. I don't think he'll play center, but I think any other. He played, he played the other four positions yeah, last year. Yeah, he played three different – started games at three different positions last year. Also did some work at right tackle as well. So he's played everywhere. He can play everywhere. He's he's that good, even if he's not been, you know, getting a lot of actual football work over the, the past few months. So um, I, the left side of the line seems like a likely possibility. But All the quarterbacks are right-handed. I would put him on the left side of the line. Yeah, and I, I think tackle is a real – I think tackle is – there's a real chance there. and. Uh, we'll just have to see how that kind of shakes what, out the rest of the, of the unit. Yeah, what what'll be interesting to me is you know that they, they basically said they're going to and they're going to have a couple weeks to figure out where they need him most. Will will we see if they decide the left side is where they could use him most? If that's the case, you have kind of got to start getting Drew Richmond some work on the right side. So right I think tackle, yeah. so I think watching some movement you know early in camp, will we see any? Will will we see guys open camp at different positions? All that will be interesting because. There will probably be some movement that will at least give us give us maybe some sort of hint of where Trey Smith is going to play because you would think they're not going to just throw someone else at a different position once he gets out there. You would think they're going to start settling things down a little bit a couple weeks into camp and figure out where he might go. Yeah, you'd like to probably do what most NFL teams do and 
figure out who your best eight are and then figure out, pair it down from there and then have kind of an established order going into games. If this guy goes down, this is what we do. If that other guy goes down, this is what we do. You'd like to have a pretty good sense of that because it's not like West Virginia's defense is great, but your West Virginia's offense is really good and you're going to have to score points to win that game. So you want to go into the season You'd like to have more answers than questions going well, into the season. Well, and let's face it, the offensive line couldn't protect the quarterback last year. Couldn't protect and, anything. And you've got to you've got to keep your quarterbacks upright as much as possible. Even when so, Trey Smith was out there. Yeah. So he, so no matter who you're playing, they've just got to make sure they have an offensive line out there that can protect the quarterback and get the run game going because this team wants to run the ball a lot. So yeah, it all starts with that front five, and Trey Smith's a big part of that. And I think we'll we'll mention this guy too because uh, I. And again, this is uh, this is he, he showed up with that great, uh, you know, uh, Hawaiian looking hair, even though he's not Hawaiian. His first year, and he, he was a big kid. He was a three star prospect, which means he was a he was he had my ninja kind of potential. And uh, I pegged this guy pretty early on. Got lucky. He ended up being pretty good. Chance Hall. We'll see what he's like, but he's back now for Tennessee. And I, I think this is a real wild card for Tennessee's offensive line. Because you're talking about a couple of things here that are both true and they're hard to put them together. One is that when he, if he's healthy and he's good, uh, he's one of Tennessee's five best offensive linemen, in my opinion. The problem is the second thing is that he's a complete unknown right now because he has played what six games in the past two years. He's had one knee injury after the other, had an Achilles problem. I think he had a shoulder problem at some point. Uh, Chance Hall has been banged up every which way you can be banged up the past few years. But he has worked hard. He has gone through all of the rehab. Uh, He's stuck with it. And he said he wants to come back and play. And he will be cleared for contact going into camp. So uh, this was a guy who, when we were looking at potential offensive line combinations going into the season, this guy was not on a lot of the lists. And I understood that. But I always put a big asterisk by his name because I think if he is healthy, then I think he is going to push – anyone not named Trey Smith up there for a, for a first-team spot. I think he, if he's healthy, I think he's that kind of player. Yeah, but being cleared for a return and being healthy are, are yeah. two different things. Absolutely. And he's, what, five months removed from surgery? It happened around spring practice. March. So, yeah, it's less than five Early months. Early March. So, yeah, it, it's um, – it's oh, it's a, a major question mark. There's yeah. no question about and, it. And yeah, the fact that he, you know, the last time we saw him out there, he was he didn't finish that season. You know, he he's had he's had enough Barely issues. Really started it. Yeah. So he's he's had enough issues that you you really have to worry about him going into the season. But luckily for Tennessee, they now have enough other options that they don't have to count on him. He's a he's a he's a huge added bonus if he's available and if he can throw another hat into that mix at uh at whatever position he might play. I mentioned on the Facebook Live, he's listed. I mean, official rosters are what they are. You never know if they're. Accurate, but it's very which, specific. If it's if it's yeah. if it's wrong, it's very specifically well, wrong. Well, and it's a strange direction to be wrong. Usually, you're on the light side of offensive linemen, if anything. But uh, in Chance Hall's case, he's listed at 328 pounds, and that's, that's at six five. Yeah, well, that's very different from where he was listed the last time he played. I think he was closer to 300 on the official roster when he was a, a, a true freshman for sure. If not, as a give sophomore. me a second. So. He's he's noticeably heavier if that's accurate and that, that does make maybe you like three sixteen or so he was listed at in the past. Yeah, I'm just throwing that out. So there. that makes you wonder if, if he's still, especially coming off a knee injury, is he going to be mobile enough, athletic enough, the way he used to be, to be as effective at right tackle, or could he slide inside to guard? That'll be an interesting decision they have to make, and, and it'll obviously be made by just how well he moves. I think once he's out there. But Tennessee will have, as I mentioned earlier, twenty scholarship offensive linemen going into camp who can do. 
uh, most things, and 19 of them will be cleared for contact. Even though you don't have a ton of contact early in camp, you need to put pads on for that. But still, it, it's a it's a step in the right direction because there was a lot of belly aching about how many guys they were going to have up there. Well, I don't know how great they're going to be, but they got a lot of bodies now. Uh, they got a lot of scholarship bodies, a lot of guys who were recruited, signed by an SEC staff to play offensive line uh, or to play on the line of scrimmage in, in Eric Crosby's case, I guess. So you've got some options there. It's just a matter of, you know, will those options come together and be a pretty good unit? Hall was listed at 318 his first two years and 315 in 2017. Even as a true freshman, he was listed at three. So by saying 316, yeah. I was slightly off. Yeah. Two pounds off. Well, you're the one who updates those rosters all the time. So Pat did it this year. Props to you for remembering. He, 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 hap- he was stepped on my toes, and I was really happy that he did that because that is a pain <laughs> to go in there and manually input all of those heights and weights again. It's like, how are you guys getting shorter and taller in one year? That's not possible. Uh, yeah, there was – we got that roster out, and it was like it was like manna from heaven. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they, this is, are these heights and weights? What is this? What is this? A school before, for ants? Before we were eyeballing it, like, well, he was listed at three oh five coming out of high school, and he looks maybe a little bit bigger than that now, but he was chunkier back then, so you can't really tell. I don't know. We'll say three fifteen. It was a guess. Hey, I'm proud of Jeremy Pruitt. When we were going through spring practice, the first I bet two he, weeks, I, I bet he's happy with you being proud. I'm I sure bet he's he proud that you're proud of him. He just sure. made his day, Ryan Cowan. Absolutely, but no it. Two weeks into spring practice, what were we talking about? We're like, is he ever going to talk about individuals? Are we ever going to get Individual. a roster? Is this on amounts? Is is, is, it, don't walk. is this is this going to be like Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, where we're not going to get a roster until like the day before the season, and even then, it won't have weights and heights and stuff. But here we are, camp starting. We've got official weights, got official heights. That's the kind of crap you pull if you like to finish fourth in your division. Mm. <laughs> don't get Patrick started on Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. I, I love how weird the guy is, but he's totally overrated as a coach. But when he says things like he doesn't want to eat chicken because that's a timid animal <laughs> and people should eat beef. I was that's like, strange. That, that's the kind of weird that I'm like, okay, I can roll with that. That's the kind of – That's Ron Swanson kind of – That's like the kind of uh, eccentricity that, that, I, that I approve of. We'll move on to talk about a couple other guys here. We've we got to throw in some J.J. Peterson talk, right? Yeah, He's... that was – actually, believe it or not, that was next on the hey, list. Hey, all right. Well, I was going to say, we Patrick covered this in depth before we got the official word from yeah, Jeremy Pruitt. Patrick, take it away. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll throw it to our official <laughs> J.J. Peterson not on campus yet. Do you all just right? want me to call Rush right now? <laughs> yeah, I think we can try. Probably, I think he's probably in practice. Um, hey, Pat, what's going on, man? Uh, I did talk to Rush Probst, uh, J.J. Peterson's coach at Colquitt County on uh, – what day was it? Wednesday. Uh, and he told me that uh, Peterson still had some some class work he's finishing up. Uh, it was running into from last days of it were going to be Wednesday and into Thursday, uh, and he did not expect Peterson to be there on Friday for the start of camp. Uh, we'll we'll see if he's we'll we'll check for him if he's out on the field. I don't expect to see him, but um, and said that once once he's finished up the academic work, there's a few different uh, red tape kind of things you got to go through before you can get there and we've we've discussed this amongst ourselves about you know can you practice without being cleared by the don't call it the clearing houses that's not what's called anymore NCAA eligibility it's called center. the NCAA eligibility center ah, I still call it the clearing house they got to you know they got to get the the grades back and posted from the class uh, so all these things and so it's looking like it might be another few days but the main thing to that I took from it is that the situation is fluid in terms of how when Peterson will actually show up on campus but it's more of a question of if – it's more of a question of when. I, I did this yesterday. It's more of a question of when and not if. People continue yeah. – Pruitt, Probst, other people that we've talked to continue to to be confident that, that Peterson at some point will be on campus and some point will join the team. So uh, I think that's 
Uh, and again, that's kind of what Pruitt said today or on Thursday. He said, "Yeah, when he gets his stuff done, he'll be here." Yeah, <laughs> we don't know when that's going to be. Um, and there's been a lot of stuff around. A lot of stuff around. It's not a test score issue. Yeah, uh, I think what they're trying to do is, is they're trying to get. Uh, they're trying to take classes that will get his core GPA mm-hmm. up a little bit. Um, and Ryan, you're the recruiting guy. You know about the the scale of yeah. how they how the eligibility center reviews the test score versus the GPA. And I always got stuff. I always got all A's, so I can't. I, I'm right. not really right it's in college too. But it's a it's a sliding scale. So basically, I th- I think JJ Peterson he did he not take his standardized test again in the spring and he got did they, back this summer. He did. They he he said uh, Rush told me back then that it was they took it again because uh, they were trying to raise the score. It was good sure. enough, but right. they were trying to raise it, which right. is never you know. And on the slide. Yeah scale a higher standardized test score allows the gpa to be lower so what probably happened is he got the test score back it wasn't high enough to balance out the gpa whatever it was so then he had to go with the route of taking another class to bump up the gpa the, the core gpa as you mentioned so now he's got to get it not only take the class but get a certain grade assuming everything checks out um he'll he'll be on campus and that's we can assume that things are looking like he's going to get that taken care of, but it's still at least a question mark until, as you said earlier, Patrick, until he gets here. So uh, all, all signs remain pretty optimistic on Tennessee's end, but and based on Rush Probst, you know, explanation of how he thinks the process will go, I think the safe bet is he probably won't be on campus until, what, early next week, probably a few days into camp. Yeah, um, I mean, it, 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 it could be. That's the safe bet. I mean, it yeah. could be sooner, but that seems like the – if it goes as Rush Probst expects, it seems like maybe you know Monday or so is the earliest he might be there. Yeah, I mean I think that's that's probably fair, but I think you know yeah. by the middle of next week it, there should be some sort of resolution or some sort of more concrete. It, yeah, at least an update of some sort. Yeah. yeah, so we'll we'll see how that goes, but it's still not quite ready to breathe a sigh of relief if you're a Tennessee fan. Because but, we've heard this before. Yeah, we <laughs> have. This is like the the fourth sort of. You know, they, they targeted, like, the first week in June for the start of the first. They were pretty confident then, too. And you know, then it was going to be July, and then it's been – since it wasn't July, it's been like, all right, we don't know. And as I've said, once you get through the whole summer and you haven't gotten there, all bets are off. So uh, so we'll see. But it's still – you know, they've, they've been confident. Tennessee's been confident. We'll, we'll see if that has been well-founded confidence, but I, I think there's still a good chance it works out. There's a couple more. We're going to get to the, the quarterbacks here in just a minute because we know everyone wants to hear that discussion. But there are a few other guys we do need to update. Uh, a couple of guys who have, uh, you could say, physical and maybe non-physical issues that they've dealt with in the past little bit. Uh, it looks like, uh, to start camp anyways, it looks like Todd Kelly Jr., senior safety, will be a full go despite the knee problems and the other issues in the off season. And it looks like Jawan Jennings uh, might be limited a little bit with reps, but uh, the the dog will be back in some capacity. Has been cleared, so there shouldn't be good any luck major issues him. there. Yeah, good luck with saying. I don't think he'll be limited very long. <laughs> yeah, they're like, uh, you need to sit. You, you need to sit this uh, this about about, and he's like, you need to get out of my way. <laughs> that that would probably be the Jawan Smith answer to that. But it looks like both those Jawan guys. Jennings. Are we about to do an Eli Pope thing again? Ooh. Juwan Smith, he's going. He's throwing back a decade in hoops. I thought him. I said Juwan Jennings. You said Juwan Smith there. Did I really? Yeah, that's okay though. I haven't. I mean, I did. He was one of my one of my guys back in the day, but yeah, that, that's still a long time ago. Wayne Chisholm was your guy. Wayne Chisholm was my guy. Yeah, but yeah, Eli Pope is also your guy. Yep. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I don't I don't understand why. We're not I, talking about the tight ends today. Thank, thankfully for us. I'm just saying all white tight ends look the same. Apparently, that that's my that's my new motto. That's that's better than Illatucky. It's kind, of it's kind of racist. No, it's not. That's right. Never it's mind. it's not racist. It's racial. There's a difference, Pat. 
Uh, here is a couple other last things. Uh, apparently, we're going to talk about this a lot over the course of the season, apparently, because we always start talking about this. Uh, what position is Jonathan Kongbo playing today? It looks like Jonathan Kongbo uh, will indeed be an outside linebacker going into the season. However, we uh, kind of knew that. Though. Pruitt, yeah, yeah, Pruitt's talked about that. As summer, Pruitt said, but... it doesn't really matter. Either way, he's an edge defender. Yeah, Pruitt is, is, is interesting. That move was enjoyable. I, I loved his explanation of saying it's really not any different. He's that, moving from here to here. Yeah, he's like <laughs> it, he's like he's going to be a defensive end in four three. That's what he's always done. And then when, he's, when we're in a three four, he's going to move this far, and he had his hands about two feet apart. He's going to move this far outside, and that's where he'll be. Interesting so. that they wanted him to get smaller though, because I've always thought that. Combo would be better as a bigger guy. Yeah, but pa- Patrick was not. talking about the explanation from Chris Rump. I guess was was about him, the preacher you know, man. That they thought his build was maybe not what it should be. Basically, yeah, you know that that was the whole thing with Combo. His first year back in 2016 was the the previous coaching staff wanted him to to play inside. Uh, and, and Rump said today because uh, obviously Combo came up because he's a player that a lot of people know and there's high expectations and so. Uh, he said that he didn't think it was natural for for Kongbo to be at 275 to 280 pounds, which is what I guess either he was. I don't remember what he's listed at last year. He's listed at 254 now. He was over 280 at one point. I don't yeah. know if that was during the season, but he was o- once over 280. Yeah. So, and I think he was listed. I from what he was listed at last year, I think he's down about 10 to 15 pounds. Yeah. I think. Uh, trying to just remember that off the top of my head, but that's a lot more conditioning and a lot less FIFA is what that is. But that's just it's really and Combo's always been sort of a weight room warrior kind of guy. He's always yep. posted you know, he posts videos of, of himself training and all that kind of stuff. And I thought that was interesting, really interesting actually, because I mean that was like the whole thing of his first two years was this other you know, the previous staff wanted him to play inside. And I don't know if the staff if they view that they determined in the spring that he can't hold up inside. Um, his his pass rush grades from from Pro Football Focus last year were much better than his run defense right. grades. His he's run defense always, grades were not pleasant. You now have two years of film to go by. Yeah, too, so. he he's always viewed himself as a defensive end, and this basically yep. has him as a defensive end. So I thought that was interesting because, and Ryan, you pointed this out when we were discussing it that Ole Miss also recruited him as sort of. A t- play inside yeah i was gonna say before anybody says man butch jones's staff had no idea how to use this guy no uh, Ole miss would recruit him as a 255 pound defensive end at the time or 250 whatever it was thinking all along he was a defensive tackle and tennessee's old staff clearly liked the idea of him growing into that too but was open to playing him wherever they, they gave him a shot defensive end first he gradually moved inside that first year that's, that's when he kind of went back and forth with the staff on not wanting to move inside, similar to Kyle Phillips. You know, the, the old staff really struggled to get those guys that were 250 and let them grow into what they thought they were supposed to be naturally. But Kongbo was one of those guys. But I, I remember being told in the recruiting process, Ole Miss was recruiting him 100% as a defensive so, tackle. So we don't, you know, like I said, we don't know if, if they've said, okay, you're, we're going to play on the edge because you can't play on the inside. Well, remember the videos from this offseason, Kongbo was working out on linebacker drills before spring practice. Even. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's multiple ways to look at it. I think one is that this was something that Tennessee staff thinks he's better there, or there's the theory that I lean toward w- without any proof at this point. It's just a theory. But but I think that when you're looking at Kongbo, if you're Tennessee staff right now, you know you've got a lot of holes. You know this is a guy who's pretty athletic, and you know his history that if you put him somewhere he doesn't want to play – you're going to have to battle with him to get there. And I think they said, you know what, screw it. He's got one year left. Let's just put him where he wants to be, and maybe that will get the best out of him. Because some guys I, some guys, you can you can impose your will on them, 
and have them go play something they don't want to do and say take it or leave it. Some guys, though, you just kind of have to play ball with, and I I just have the sneaking suspicion that Combo is a guy that eventually they just threw their hands in the air and said, you know what, let's just let him do what he wants, and maybe he'll be his best doing that. Yeah, but, you know, at the same time, though, I I think – I I didn't hear anything about him having any resistance to playing 3-4 DN in the spring. Uh, Something that Rump pointed out was – and sort of kind of jive with what Mark Wise Calloway said at SC Media Days is that these players look at the staff and they think, these guys know what they're doing because they've put guys in the NFL. They've won at this level as assistant coaches, so why not listen to them? And I think, you know, we've seen that with guys like a guy like DeAndre Johnson who put on 25-something pounds last year as a, during his first year on campus to play 4-3 defensive end. Well, now he's lost another 15 pounds so he can play outside linebacker. So, uh, And with Congo, I think this defense is going to be – I think it's going to be multiple in terms of what packages and what formations and what groupings they use. And I think it's going to be multiple and who plays where, when, I mean, yeah. I think you're going to have guys that, you know, we're going to see if, if they're going in the nickel and they've got four up front, sometimes they're just going to have two down and, and the two guys on the edge are going to be standing up and it might be two outside linebackers. They might move Kyle Phillips out there. You know, it, it's just kind of one of those things where it's going to be, you know, I don't want to get into the whole depth chart thing. I don't want to say organizational chart. I'm just saying that rep chart. I'm saying the depth chart is going to be kind of irrelevant with this defense because there's going to be it's going to depend heavily on a who they're playing, b the down, the distance, the situation. They're going to want their pass rushers on there for those for those situations. They're going to want guys that can play every down. They don't have to come off the field. In the secondary, they want corners that can play like safeties and safeties that can play like corners. That's why I think you might see them move Nigel Warrior around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the back end, I don't want to say they're going to make him the next Minka Fitzpatrick and move him around that much, but they would have done that with Golden, I think. But yeah, I mean, he's—I think Warrior's probably their best guy. They're going to find a way to feature him, and, and if they've got guys that uh, can be like that, you know, can be playmakers like that, they're going to find a way to get those guys in position to make those plays. So I think, I think you'll see Kongbo play a lot. I think you'll see Daryl Taylor play a lot. DeAndre Johnson's a guy at that position that shouldn't be counted out, and, and we'll see what Austin Smith and Jordan Allen can do, but. Uh, yeah, he might have had a pretty decent offseason, DeAndre Johnson, if yeah, if the word circulating around there is legit. Yeah, I mean, Rum, he, he was the first guy that, that Rum mentioned today. Said that the guy that he said the word that got to shocked me was DeAndre because uh, he he had had something done on his shoulder and they weren't sure how much they were going to get out of him and he didn't miss a rep and was you know into the spring on the first team. So that kind of toughness is something that stood out to them. We saw that with a few guys this spring. Austin Pope busted up his hand or his finger, and I don't think he missed much time at all. You know, we saw some yeah. other guys. Greg Emerson was a guy that was showed that you know they were a little bit concerned about what he was going to do, and he didn't really miss a whole lot. So, um, I think that's also sort of a, a sense of urgency thing with these players that hey, it's a new staff, it's my chance, and uh, so yeah. With the with the Andre Johnson, I I never count out uh, South Florida guys. Uh, this guy got stabbed, hard, hard, right? Like, like a they, hard like a hard and fast rule here. I, I don't South Florida guys. If there's a chance that they could. Uh, you can roll with those guys. They'll you give them a chance. They'll usually make some plays for you. And this is a kid who has literally been stabbed in an incident yeah, like that had he, nothing he, to do yeah. with him. He was just wrong place, wrong time. And uh, so this is a tough kid. And, and on the combo thing, I, I think it was some combination of like you were saying, Wes. You know, getting the most out of him because he's in the position he wants to play, and also knowing after what they saw this spring. I don't think they viewed him as an every down three four defensive end. I don't think they felt they can. They, they could thought count. Phillips could and maybe Combo could not. Yeah, I perhaps. think. I mean, I think. What, I think what they decided was that they needed to probably go with a heavier guy. Uh, and we've heard them now mention it to recruits specific specifically Savion Williams, the new defensive line commitment from the JUCO ranks. 
that they did, mentioned. Did, did you just go Swain and say Pacifically instead of specifically? Did I? That's you that, might have. Oh, that's if racial. I, if I did, yeah. Swain's like my brother. I'd if say I, that. If I did, it was definitely not intentional, and I don't remember ever doing that. But spe- just side, side side plot. Specifically, um, yeah, specifically Savion Williams, who is has been told that Tennessee staff sees him as like a big defensive end that they would play in a 3-4 opposite a lighter defensive end and in this case they've been talking about Darrell Middleton the other Juco defensive lineman in this class being that guy so I think when you look at Kyle Phillips he obviously would be that lighter end you need a heavier end on the opposite end and that that leans toward someone like Alexis Johnson or Shy Tuttle Shy Tuttle Emmett Gooden someone like that so I think they they looked at that looked at their they need to stop the run you look at that alignment and you say Phillips on one end's okay, not so sure about Kongbo, and then you go to him. He wants to make the move to outside linebacker. His pass rush skills are more proven. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense on both fronts, but I think some of it's just – I think Tennessee looked at him and wasn't sure how effective he would be as a 3-4 defensive end. And one of those 3-4 defensive ends technically could be an end, an end guy in a, in a four-down look too, right? Yeah, yeah. Potentially. Definitely. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a lot of flexibility, a lot of yep. – interchangeable pieces it's kind of how they're I think that's kind of how they're going to work at it and I think that's why we'll see some guys in the secondary I mean Cheyenne LaBruza is a good example because he was like every time we saw him he was working with the safeties well at the spring in the spring game he was playing the nickel spot that's just kind of how they're going to do this I mean we, we've heard some stuff Brandon Davis on his Twitter the freshman said he's playing safety and that's a guy that we thought <laughs> were like, was hey, not at all five, heavy enough yeah five ten hundred seventy pound safety like what huh what but hey, you know that's they're gonna they're gonna try to find the ways to you know get more speed on the field. The way they they play coverage, you kind of have to be able to um, sort of pattern matching. I think is how kind of how they're gonna yep. and, and they're gonna ask their safeties to cover a lot. We did, we saw a lot of their safeties do a lot of coverage work during the spring, so uh, I think that's gonna be a little bit of a change in the scheme. Is that they may have one guy sort of a center fielder, and then they may have. Uh, the other safety's got to be able to, to play the run in the box, but also cover as well. A couple of things there. One, uh, that thud you heard a minute ago was me accidentally hitting the microphone. I apologize for that. Secondly, anytime we're talking about the uh, defensive lineman from Tennessee whose name is uh, A. Johnson, don't say his first name because this is a, one of those smart home things and you'll probably get the, the app <laughs> talking a lot. Like I saw it light up a minute ago and I was like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And that's why I was looking and that's why I punched the microphone. Third thing, uh, I just now realized that my vest I'm wearing is inside out right now uh, and that's just accidental. We need uh, preseason camp here over here. No Go kidding. My goodness. I've been in a, in, a, in a fog of been in a haze all week long. A uh, couple other things before we get to the QBs. Uh, it looks like uh, the freshmen, uh, a couple of the Tennessee's talented freshmen that we've been discussing about what positions they would play. Looks like both Alante Taylor and Bryce Thompson are going to be cornerbacks heading into the season. Not quarterbacks, cornerbacks. Uh, and it looks like uh, that's where Pruitt wants them. I think that's probably when you're looking at Tennessee's needs. You could make the You could make the point that one of those guys could maybe help as a slot receiver and that that would be something that they could they could probably get some juice out of those guys in those areas because Tennessee's got a lot of big receivers but not a lot of smaller kind of traditional slot guys. But that's where they're going to be, and I think looking at Tennessee's situation at corner guys, I think that's probably the right move. I, I think so too. And, I, I mean, there, there are multiple fascinating position battles. You know, Jeremy Pruitt mentioned that this is a – there's going to be a lot of competition across the board. You know, you're, you're talking about a four-man quarterback race that, let's be honest, is probably going to be a two-man race 
within a couple of weeks. Um, if not but still, now. But still a quarterback battle. Um, you know, running back is, is essentially going to be handled by committee. We'll get into that later. I mean, you've got a bunch of positions, offensive line. But cornerback to me is fascinating because they have so many bodies they have thrown at that position. And several might work out. Some of them might not. But, you know, it sounds like Balin Buchanan's kind of established himself as one of the guys to beat among the veterans. But all these newcomers they're throwing in there, you know, Elante Taylor, Bryce Thompson. It's a lot better looking situation. But, I mean, we almost forget because they have so many options now about guys like Carlin Filzami and Malik Gray that they threw at that position this spring. I mean, who... Who is going to stick there and who gets kind of washed out is going to be interesting to watch because they have a lot of choices now. And, and players like Mark Will Osborne, you know, it, it, it's... Schamberger. Yeah, they, they've... Well, Schamberger, I think, is a guy that will play in some form or fashion, but guys like Osborne, Malik Gray, they've got to have good camps. So they and they're, really banking get... on, they're banking on Balin Buchanan being a pretty solid player, and that's... Yeah. He, he, he's not proved so far in a game that he is that kind of a player. So, yeah. so that's... Even if you're counting that guy as okay, like in their mind they're thinking he's a guy, he's a starter probably right mm-hmm. now. So, and and he hadn't proved a lot in games in his career, so that's that's a big one. And when you asked about, and when you asked uh, Patrick, I believe you were the one that asked about Bryce Thompson and uh, the the reason for putting him at corner first when he's obviously got could have played at receiver and is he's really dynamic with the ball in his hands. I think um, you even asked about him maybe getting involved in the return game. Which his I film is eye popping. Yeah, is a real possibility for him, but. Jeremy Pruitt's answer, I think, was pretty enlightening when he said it's it's about sometimes about putting players in a position where they can help you right away. And and that, uh, that shows you there's a clear opportunity at cornerback, a receiver, maybe not as much. And that tells you they're still not thinking that some of the veterans they have on this roster are the answer or they're not convinced they are but, yet. And that, that suggests that it's a big camp to me for, for guys like Malik Gray, Mark Will Osborne, some of these guys that haven't established themselves have got to have good camps, especially once they bring in another class of corners go next or, year. Go or get off the pot. Yeah, they're going to get washed out pretty quickly with Tennessee bringing in some new uh, new guys at corner next year. Well, you look at, you know, Tennessee's got a lot of options in a lot of places. Receiver, I think, is probably one of the most clear-cut situations yeah. because you're, you're probably going to be starting Juwan Jennings and Marquez Calloway on one side and Brandon Johnson's going to be your slot guy. That's Those guys are probably going to play most of the snaps. Probably. And should play most of the snaps. But uh, you need another guy in yeah, there. I, they, I still they wonder do. how much they'll mix in others. But, I, yeah. I, well, I, but they're not going to play eight receivers. Right. So um, those three are going to get a lot. I don't know how much they're going to split tight ends out wide. I know that, you know Ethan Wolf did that a lot under the previous staff. I don't know. If Wolf's a guy who I think can give you some matchup problems out there in a good way. True. Uh, you know Josh Palmer's a guy I think is probably next in line, and yeah. maybe Jordan Murphy. I think Latrell Williams is a slot guy, but they can. You know, uh, Callaway said at, at media days that, that Tyson Helton has them learning different spots in, in the offense so they can move them around and get some of those favorable, favorable matchups. So I think there's going to be some flexibility there. But you got a pretty clear-cut top three, and I'd even go as far as say Palmer's probably next. So that's a pretty good top four. Everywhere else, it's kind of murky, and it's, no, and it's the murkiest at cornerback because uh, exiting spring, the, the, the starting trio was Schamberger, Buchanan, and Osborne. If you told me right now you could give me any combo of three players – and I'd be like, I, I don't, I, w- I wouldn't rule that out. Like it, it's, it's that wide open because I think any combination of those guys, anybody that emerges and shows a pulse, is going to have a chance to start. Yeah, I look at Tennessee's cornerback situation kind of like um, there's that front corner to the left, that corner of the living room here at Fort Rucker. We've tried a lot of things there, like it because we put those built-in bookshelves in the wall and they're really nice. And then you got below that, you got that corner. 
and we've tried to put like a chair there and we're like, nah, not quite right. Tried to put like an end table kind of over there. Nah, not quite right. Like a smaller table with a lamp on it. Nah, doesn't. Basically, we've that's like Death Valley, that one corner of the living room. No matter what we try over there, we're like, nah, it's not that great. I worry that's what Tennessee's situation at cornerback is like. I think they're looking at that corner of their defensive living room and they're going, oh, we could try that. Oh, okay, well, we could try that. Oh, oh, oh. okay, well, let's try this. Uh, well, uh, you know, and you go on and on and on, and I just don't know how good they're going to be there. I wonder if, and we've heard some of this stuff out of out of seven on seven. Ryan, you reported this a few weeks ago that uh, the the newcomers have been able to show that they can they can make plays. They can, yeah, they and, can make Pat. And how, how many times have we heard Jeremy Pruitt talk about the the first thing as any defensive back in the system is you've got to be able to play the ball in the deep part of the field. Yeah, and they, this this bunch last year didn't get their hands on enough passes. So the question, yeah, they only had five interceptions last year. Yeah, they didn't look for the ball. Uh, that was two years ago. Charlton Warren at least got him to turn around. Um, but, you know, I just wonder, you know, that, that, is that going to be one of the trade-offs? If you have guy, you have young guys that are going to be, you know, more willing to take risks and might be, oppo- you know, might be prone to making mental busts, yeah. blowing coverages, is that something you want to risk with the fact that they might tip more balls, intercept more passes, or are you going to play some of these veteran guys that, they're going to probably know what to do. They're going to be good technique-wise. They're probably not going to get maybe beat you know, as much, but they're also not going to make many plays. Mm-hmm. That's a question I have, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, if you're thinking of this staff, I mean, Pruitt's, you know, those Alabama defenses thrived on turnovers. I mean, yeah, I, I think I d- over the last four years, uh, I was doing this stuff last night. I think, I think his defenses at Georgia and Alabama, I think, had like 19 more turnovers or 19 more interceptions. Yeah. Than, than Tennessee has over the past yeah. four years. So what? that's going to be – I think turnovers are going to be a big emphasis. And and is that something that, as a coach, you're going to be willing to, to take risks back there for guys that may that made may plays, but they're also going to give up a few here, here and there? Yeah, I, one of the things that I – that is my biggest pet peeve about coaching is coaching out of fear. It drives me crazy because people who worry all the time about – where they're vulnerable, don't just, just don't say worry about where they could. No, 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 I, no. It's not. It's not just been Butch. It's been lots of other coaches that that I look at and I go, "You worry." Fulmer did it at times. You worry so much about what other people can do to you that you don't focus on what you can do to them, and, and you have to be on the front foot, have the initiative, all well, that kind of stuff. But the one thing that I'm there, there are exceptions to every rule. And when I look at Tennessee's situation at corner, I go plain and simple with the guys who can at least cover reasonably well because. Any offense that is worth a flip is going to look at that Tennessee secondary. They're going to spread the field as wide as possible, and they're going to find your guy who can't cover, and they're going to throw the ball at that guy time and time and time and time again. Because we saw last season, you know, Schamberger goes in there. Alabama spreads the field, goes right at him time and time again, thinking there's a weakness. Teams will try that. If they think you've got a corner out there who sucks, they are going to go at that guy all the time. I think you've got to get a guy out there who – at least cannot be attacked every single play. And, and, and that maybe that's a good example is that in that game is that Schamberger made a couple of plays in that game, yeah. but they also had he also had some balls completed on him. He had a, I think right. a third down mm-hmm. uh, play early in the game where Calvin Ridley kind of boxed him out and, and and made that play there. And then on the other side, you had guys like you know Justin Martin and Emmanuel Mosley didn't necessarily give up a lot of plays, but they also didn't make a lot of plays either. You know they didn't rack up a lot of pass deflections and they were just kind of pass there. breaks up. Yeah, they they were there and. 
maybe last year's not a good example because nobody needed to throw the ball in Tennessee because, <laughs> A, they could just run it on Student him. Student body left and right seemed to work pretty well. And, and hey, they ranked fifth in the nation in pass defense. And, and B, by the second quarter, they were not up three touchdowns. Not defense. Yeah. And B, you know, by the second quarter, they were up three touchdowns. It didn't have to throw the ball. So, um, but yeah, I think that's going to be sort of an interesting sort of situation back there in the secondary. And I'm wondering across the whole, whole, the whole roster, how much is this new staff going to play and rely on the new guys, or, the guys that they brought in? The thing to keep in mind too, though, this is this is a different defensive mentality from what the old staff did, from what we've seen at Tennessee since. At least twenty twelve play ten yards off the ball. Yeah, they're gonna time. they're gonna they want to press. They don't want to change that. And so it's I think it's gonna be a much simpler call than just I, I think we oversimplify things sometimes in battles like that. You know, the safe call versus the aggressive one. I don't think it's gonna be that. I think it's gonna be the guys who can play the best coverage playing no, up, but playing I, but up I, on receivers. But I think when you toss out the NFL as a major exception at the college level, a lot of times the guys who keep it simple um, tend to have success because you'd rather do. I'd, I'd, a million times over, I'd rather do 10 things at 100 miles an hour than 100 sure. things at 10 miles an hour. But I think it, I think it usually comes down I, – I think less often it comes down to – I think people sort of see it as always like the less athletic guy who knows where he's supposed to be versus sure. the more athletic young guy. And the it's cold not, jumper, Daniel Batuli. Yeah, and, it, and it's not always that. And, and this, in this style of play, a guy like Balaam Buchanan literally might be better at press coverage than a guy who's more athletic than him. So we just don't know. We, we're not going to be out there to see it. They want, so, the, they want those long-arm guys with length yeah. and, and, and enough strength to kind uh, of to, to jam you a little our bit. Arm length does matter in, in recruiting. I, you know, I don't know how that's how that will weigh into their decision and all that with the guys they currently have. But, yeah, they – they're going to look at the guys that give them the best chance to play the aggressive type of defense they want to play. They got to get after the quarterback and they've got to play press coverage as much as possible. And that's something they want to do. Last thing before we get out of here, guys, I, I, we said we were going to talk a little bit about the coordinators. Uh, is there anything really quickly that any of them said that just really, really stood out to you or something that we got to mention? Cause we, we don't want to take up too, yeah. too much time here. And we still got to talk about the quarterbacks before we get out of here. For me, it was just, Play calling that, that that one's fascinating to me because you uh, you've got a couple of coordinators there who haven't done it in quite this capacity. Uh, you know, Tyson Helton did say he's he got some play calling experience more than people might have thought under Jeff Brom at Western Kentucky, but he he was kind of gradually brought into it. So he was given some sort of situational play calling duties. So he's done it before. USC was kind of the same thing. He you know T Martin was the offensive coordinator in title, but Tyson Helton called third downs is what we were led to believe. He didn't say that, but that's what we were told in the past. So he's done some situational play calling and, and more than people might have thought. So that that's at least encouraging. But he said, Hey, there's gonna be collaboration. Will Friend is heavily involved in the offensive uh, scheming and game planning, I think. And uh, Jeremy Pruitt is obviously going to have a big voice in that too. Whenever he feels the need and on defense, offensive guru, noted offensive mind, Jeremy yeah. Pruitt. Well, it, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's a head coach. He said, "Hey, he's a good football coach, and he's going to have his say." His name's the one that says head coach on yeah, it. His, exactly. his title is. Yep. So, uh, and on defense, you know, Kevin Scher emphasized basically everybody on the defensive staff. I thought it was really interesting how how much he stressed the collaboration there might be. And, and Wes, you mentioned earlier, Charles uh, Charles Kelly, defensive coordinator at Florida State the past few years. You, you've got. You've got guys that have experience. Has Rocker been a DC before? Uh, I don't think he has, no. but he's he's been around long enough that he can even help here and there. And then you've got you know you you've got Chris Rump that's co coordinator in title. So you've got a few guys there that can really help on the defensive side. And obviously, most people assume it might be Jeremy Pruitt's defense anyway because he's a, a longtime coordinator now. So that that's all interesting. And I think they're still sorting out, as you said, Patrick. You know whether they're gonna which coaches will be in the box, which ones will be on the field, but. 
the fact that it's a collaborative play calling effort, that's something to kind of keep an eye on early in the season. Yeah, because on, honestly, I hear that. I'm like, why don't they, you know, you need to have one voice. You don't want to have a look of confusion on the sideline yeah. amongst your coaching staff because that's not going to be a good sign for, for your players. If your players are trying to look over there and get the signals and get the calls well, and they're like, okay, what are we what are we doing? That's that's not going to be a good situation. Yeah. But one, one thing that's positive about that is I think the staff communicates so well because there are so many strong relationships yeah. that that probably lends to you know kind of bouncing ideas during a game and still being able to get a call in quickly. Yeah. But and we'll see. Plus, they've all coached in this defense for a long time. Right. So they, they know it you know pretty well. So they're going to know. They're, and, and honestly, they're probably to the point now where they're probably thinking the same thing. Like Cher and, and Pruitt are probably thinking for a certain situation, let's go with this. They're probably thinking it along the same lines. So – Mm-hmm. Wes? Well, I, I was still leaving the floor open for y'all to decide if anything Nothing else that the else coordinators... My, my most interesting thing so. with the coordinators was about Congress. We already talked about that. See, that's what I was thinking. On I the thought there might be a little overlap there. On to the quarterbacks. On to are... the quarterbacks. Tennessee uh, has four scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. You know the names. We've mentioned them uh, in this podcast and several just in this episode and also several times over the past several weeks and months. Uh, but Tennessee continues. The staff insisted today, starting with Pruitt, who's obviously his his voice is the main one and the only one we're going to hear moving forward. But uh, Helton, in his you know one interview for the season today, said that basically people keep saying it's a one or two man deal, but it's a four man deal, and that he said going into camp, all four are there. Now I will say really quickly that that's the only thing you can say as a head coach, right. because if you want to guarantee that anyone on your team is not going to give you their best effort during camp, just tell them that their starting spot's already set well, and that, they're not starting. Well, and that's what they promised these guys. I mean, Will McBride probably would have left by now if you had already told him you're, yes. not, you're not a part of the mix. So you, you got to be fair to these guys. You know, J.T. Shrout was told coming in, hey, you're a true freshman, but you're, you're, on, you're starting from square one just like these other guys are because they're new to us too. So you've got to approach it that way. I think in reality, this, this will settle into a two man battle probably quicker than, than, you know, the last two weeks of camp, it'll, it'll be settled fairly soon and it'll be down to, to Jarrett Garantano and Keller Chris, but you got to give those guys a fair chance. Well, you got to give them a chance and you also got to develop them too. I mean, let's, right. it's not, I mean, you're not going to get better at playing football by not playing football. We talked by about watching that, football. We talked about that before. The staff is going to give the backups reps yes. because developing young players is important, especially this time of year. And especially with quarterbacks. I mean, Stroud is, is a perfect example of a guy that has a lot of the physical tools, but a little low on experience, a little raw. So he needs, he needs time. He needs, you know, reps, and he needs time to get comfortable in the system and, and kind of get used to the speed of the game. And the only way you're going to do that is by actually playing the game at this and, level. So, And I thought it was very interesting, too, that Jeremy Pruitt, when asked about the, the quarterback battles, said, you know, hey, the, we're handling this like any other position. He compared it to, just kind of off the top of his head, outside linebacker. He said, if you got two guys that can play, you play both. If, and they're, if they're pretty close, if they're pretty similar. And then if you've got one that steps forward and emerges as the guy, then, then that's your guy. But, um, and he stressed this in talking about other positions too. He said, but that's going to be decided by them, not us. And that, that's really interesting because I, I think that players are going to approach this camp differently, knowing that, knowing that unlike the former staff, there are no preconceived notions. I don't think, I'm sure they have an idea of who might end up winning the job. If you don't make stupid promises in recruiting, you don't have to do yeah. stupid things during camp but, and with the team during the season. But there, there are not going to be any, any artificially 
hyped battles, you know, that are that are predetermined essentially by the staff with this bunch. They're two, going to let it play two out. Two dogs, one bomb. Yeah, they're going to let this one play out. They're not going to go with just the guy that they trust most or that they think deserves to start or whatever. They're going to go with the guy who earns it on the field, and that's, I think, a breath of fresh air to these players, and, and that's, I think, the fact that they're emphasizing that at quarterback tells you that, hey, if they feel there's not much separation between those two, they might look at it as, hey, well, let's not force the issue to, just to, to try to have one quarterback. Let's let them continue this into the season. So uh, I, I thought to me, Jeremy Pruitt's comments kind of left the door open for the first time. He made some sort of statement that led you to believe it's possible, at least, they could go into the season with two quarterbacks. I think that's a fair a fair way to put it. Do we really think, before we get out of here, do we really think that anyone other than Kristen Garantano has a chance or is the only chance – if any of them just lights the world on fire early in camp, is that the only way that any of that changes? At one point in camp, in, in, in spring practice, I thought Will McBride was m- maybe more in the race than people thought. Hey, I'm not counting out the thrill. Yeah, I, 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 I would. I am. I'm Patrick. Pat, Pat is. I am not. I'm close to that. Which I, means he'll win the starting job. Yeah, <laughs> given my track. I did think Pruitt's comment was interesting. I don't know what you take from it in saying that. You look at quarterbacks from the NFL, even the great ones, they come in all different sizes, all different builds, basically. I mean, the only guy on this quarterback who's built that or on this roster at quarterback who's built that differently is Will McBride. So I thought that was an interesting comment, but I still don't think McBride has much of a chance. I'll give him the slimmest, the slimmest of chances. I don't see JT Shrout winning the job as a true freshman. So I, I think it's mostly a two man. Yeah, very rarely going into camp will I say something like this guy is not you know, very good, doesn't have a chance. Uh, I do that sometimes with, like, you know, Shaq Wiggins. But other times, most of the time, <laughs> I go into the season and I say, you know what, if this guy does something early in camp, he's got a chance. And and I think we all know that basically uh, Garantano and Chris are the main names to watch. I don't think that's any surprise. And I do think you'll see Chris get a fair amount. I know they're going to two-spot it and go four teams and all that. But I think you're going to see Chris get a lot of chances early on with some of the first and second team units. Uh, if not the first team unit, because they've seen basically they saw Garantano for three or four weeks in the spring. That doesn't mean that it won't be different now going forward, but they you usually give the new guy a little bit more love early on in camp because he hasn't gotten a shot yet. I, I generally don't take too much from coaches' comments on any of these battles, but I do, I do think a couple things are interesting about what was, what's been said about these guys. Well, Pruitt so will usually be like, I don't want to tell you. So if he wants right. to tell you, usually there's a reason. Yeah, with Garantano, I think they like the way he has approached this situation. I think they like the fact that he has not backed down from the competition, even when he could have sulked about the fact that you know he was kind of all excited that Shiano could have been the coach. These other guys could have been the coach, and he might have been in pretty good. Oh, you said his name. Yeah, in pretty good shape. He was looking. At, he was looking at this. At the, going into the search, he was looking at some of the options and looked and said, "Hey, if this guy's the coach, I'm going to be the quarterback." And he there was a relationship there with Greg Shiano from Rutgers when his dad played there. Um, so he, or, or because his dad played there, so he he felt good about some situations with Jeremy Pruitt. I don't think he felt as good. So he could have sulked. He could have not responded well, and I think they liked the, the way he's responded this offseason even after they added Keller Christ. On the on Chris side of things, Tyson Helton mentioned that, hey, he's not come in and said, I'm here to be the guy. He's just tried to kind of get acclimated to his teammates and settle in, and so I think they like that about him too. So it, it's an interesting battle. I think both guys have, have, have a, a lot shown a lot of maturity so far. Uh, they both have a lot of skills, but you know it's, it's going to come down to, to me. Like the Napoleon way, Dynamite skills? Uh, maybe a little bit crossbow skills. Yeah. Girls only want quarterbacks who have great skills. That's right. But, but I think it comes down to me, it comes down to whether Jared Garantano has taken that next step, whether he 
can take care of the ball and get rid of it instead of taking sacks where it can process things quickly. To me, it's all how well he has progressed since last year in that area. Well, this is – I think there's just a more prof- – And some guys like Jameis Winston never improve in that yeah. area, take too many hits. I, I think there's, there's just more of a professional feel about this football program. Yep. I don't. Well, I think it's probably an understatement. But, like, uh, you talked about how Garantano has responded. I mean – this is what happens in the NFL. They, they, if you're not good enough or they don't think you're good enough, they'll bring somebody in to compete with you and try to take your job. And that's, so that's the vibe I've gotten. That that's all- that's what this staff is going to do because they're, you know, that's what we've seen in Alabama. They recruit great players every year. Mm-hmm. So you may be a five star guy and you may play a lot as a freshman, but there might be a guy coming in next year that's better than you. And so you're going to have to, you know, that's got to that's got to motivate you, and you're going to have to learn how to how to handle that and. You know, I think we're we're going to see that with this program moving forward. Obviously, they've they've done a pretty good job recruiting. They seem to be, um, you know, recruiting to a specific fit to what they want to do. And so, um, you know, it guarantee it's almost are, like they have an idea of what yeah, they want. They're not doing it just Novel. to. They're not they're not taking guys just to because it looks good. Yeah. Um, Who so, did that? I'm just kidding. Go on. Um, well, now you got me off my train of thought. But no, no, I'm back on now. Uh, Garantano is a, a very driven kid, and I yeah. think I think what's become apparent to me since the Georgia Tech fiasco, which was not really a fiasco to me, but is that playing quarterback intensity means a lot to him, mm-hmm. and I think he's embraced sort of the spotlight of the whole thing. I mm-hmm. think that's something he had to learn a little bit the hard way with that that whole incident, but um, he's treated this job like it's been his for a while, and I think he, you know. It's good that, as you said, Ryan, he he he's appear, he appears to have taken everything in stride. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so but again, he's got to go out there and, and do it on the field. Yep, that's what it boils down to. If if you're not good enough to get the job done on the field, you're not going to play for the staff. So and we and we touched on it, I think, in passing. But they also said, you know, Tyson Elton said again, running back's going to be handled by committee, backing up everything we've heard about this bunch so far, which is. Ty Chandler's not going to get 20 carries a game in all likelihood. This is going to be a... They keep... It's almost like they're intentionally minimizing. It's just weird That's, to me that he is very clearly one of the best players on oh your no, offense. He, and, and, and that they'll they, be involved. No, I, no, I know that. But I'm saying, like, they just... It's weird that if you're someone who wants to look into these kind of things and Tennessee fans will parse over every word that everybody right. says, it's like every time Ty Chandler's mentioned, it's like... There's some hesitancy. I think it goes to the from the staff. I think it goes to the mindset that this staff thinks big guys play football against big guys, and that Ty Chandler is not a guy that you want to run between the tackles 15 to 20 times a game. So he's not it, an every down back. He's going to be mind. a touches guy. It's yeah. going to be about touches with him, and one way to get him touches is to put him back there on kickoffs. I, I think they want to get him the ball. I think they also want to get Tim Jordan the ball, and I think they'll want to get Madre London and maybe Jeremy Banks the ball. So it's just going to be finding ways to get all four of them some touches in each game and how they're divided will, will be the most fascinating thing. We don't know who's going to be the main guy. That's maybe to be determined during camp, yeah. but – there's there's a lot of intriguing individuals on Team 122. We, we didn't do, hear that today. We do need we we we, we did not hear any it, Team 122 talk today. It's thank, almost but, thank the heavens. But this is Go Vols 24/7 Team Eight, and, and we've decided that we do need the uh, we need a trash can update. We do need the new trash can because right now we've still got just the t- the Team Seven trash can there on the wall. We're gonna get a Go Vols 24/7 Team Eight trash can on the wall. Can we get one with wheels? Yeah, we can do that. Those are I guess those are heavier to hoist up into the air. No, we can do that. That's why we got. That's why we got Ramy on the staff. <laughs> He's the beast of burden. There's something heavy. Just let that guy lift it. That's why we have him. You think it's for his looks or his like journalism skills? <laughs> Come on. Hey, uh, this is a long podcast. His, and his promptness. 
Yeah. Yeah. We, we haven't even started. He is early everywhere. We haven't even started camp, but hey, next week we'll have football to discuss. That's fun. The people should be excited about that. That's true. And I think we are also a little bit excited about that. We're also a little bit down because our summer has ended, but... And unlike the last staff, it sounds like every practice will be open for at least a few minutes yeah. based on what we've heard so far. So, so we can take roll every day. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have more to tell you guys at least here and there. A little bit. It's a little bit of what they do at Bama, which is, hey, I mean, hey, people get mad at it. They're only hearing Bama talk when you're in Tennessee, for but it, it sure as hell worked for them. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week at least once, probably two episodes with everything going on there. But we will be back, and we will have a lot to talk about. And for those of you who took a hibernation uh, during the summer, it's uh, time to come out and play now. It's football time. Pat, any final thoughts? Nope. <laughs> <laughs>